Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. This is Marianne Russo. Um, I thank you for joining us. Tonight we will be spotlighting Down Syndrome. And we have two guests that are coming, um, going to be speaking from two very different stages um, with children with Down Syndrome. Wayne Lindholm is the president of the Down Syndrome Foundation, and he also has an adult child, 24 years old, um, with Down Syndrome. So he's had a lot of experience, and um, he has an incredible foundation that has programs and camps for um, children and young adults. And we're also going to be joined by Holly Walagora, and she is a young mother who um, found out during her pregnancy that her child had um, Down syndrome and chose life. And she writes beautifully about, um, you know, the experiences that she's having. So um, I just want to make sure everybody knows the chat room is open. You can um, follow us and um, interact with others. Mae Wilkinson and Chuck Wally are moderating, so um, you'll have people to talk to and share. And please call in. The call-in number is 646-595-2881. Um, I'd like to introduce Wayne Lindholm, president of the Down Syndrome Foundation. How are you? I am well, Marianne. Nice to be with you tonight. I'm so glad you could join us because, um, you know, I've wanted to spotlight Down Syndrome for quite a while. And I think it's um, it's very misunderstood. And, um, you know, I know that the children, you know, your daughter, was I correct, your daughter is 24 now? Correct. Okay. Um, you know, I I really, you know, I wanted to have the contrast with you and Holly because I, I think that things have changed a lot, um, you know, since your daughter was born. So can you tell us, first of all, um, did, were you aware of the fact that your daughter um, had Down syndrome before she was born? Was there testing then? Uh, there was testing available, but we uh, chose not to have it. So Jessica, when she arrived, was a surprise to, to Mom and I. And um, did you know? I, I think that a lot of um, I think there's a lot of uh, mis- misconception about the disorder. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the delays? I mean, is is it a very vast um, spectrum, somewhat like autism, where it can be very mild to very severe? Yes, that is correct. It's like other things in life, and like what whom, like we like to call typical people in life. Um, there's a there's a a broad spectrum or a bell curve, if you will. And we've come to know over time, because you don't know when your child is born with Down syndrome, uh, where he or she may end up on that on that spectrum, if you will. And from our observation through her 24 years of life, I would say that she's somewhere in the middle of the norm. We certainly know and have met many individuals who have capabilities beyond her, such as being able to drive and live totally independently, in like an apartment or a home setting, and at the same side, the other side of that, we know individuals who who uh, don't have the capabilities of Jessica. So we seem to have one that's right about in the middle of the spectrum. Okay. And do you have other children as well? We do. We had a. Um, she has an older daughter that was born three years ahead of her. Then we had Jessica, and then we had one more child born three years after that. So Jessica was raised with uh, two sisters, one older, one younger. And had, from that experience, had a lot of typical child modeling that she was able to do. We noticed early on that that, that Jessica is a real good observer of people and the goings-on about her. And while she may not have been very talkative at her younger years, she was certainly busy absorbing like a sponge that that was going on around her. 
So we were fortunate to have an older and younger sibling that that could help model life for her. And, you know, I hear that that's really very important. Um, You know, even as far as friends, that it's important for them to have typical friends and to, um, you know, it is helpful when they have siblings. Um, When she was younger, did they have, did she need special accommodations? I mean, what type of developmental delays did she have? Yes, she had um, uh, low um, muscle tone, which is common in uh, individuals with Down syndrome. And so at a very early age, um, really shortly after birth, she was seen by a physical therapist and occupational therapist that started educating mom and I about some of the the therapy for learning to walk that would be helpful for Jessica as her bones were developing and as she went from crawling as a as a uh, as a newborn and toddler and infant and then working up to walking so we had support right away yeah which is great because you know the early intervention with any of these children's disorders is is so key and um as far as educating um Jessica what did what type of accommodations um did she need was she able to go to uh, mainstream school uh yes in in she had actually a combination from um the time of age 2 we were actually living in North Dakota when she was born so we had a bit of a struggle getting services there just because of the the small population in the area and since down syndrome seems to be um very uniformly distributed across the world across all socioeconomic levels and and uh different uh locations of the world it doesn't seem to matter um, we found that it was re- we really needed to live in a population area that had a few more people with Down syndrome and therefore some services with it. So within six months of being born, we were fortunate enough to be able to um, move jobs to a larger city, and we moved to Minneapolis-St. Paul. And in there, we also got good advice early on that early intervention, as you said, Marianne, is very important. And we found that there was uh, several schools in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area that actually had preschool programs from age six weeks to six years of age that practiced uh, early intervention and had inclusive models for children with special needs of all types, not just Down syndrome. So from the age of two to the age of six, Jessica did participate in a program at Fraser School that allowed her to continue to model as she was being in a formal preschool program. You are so fortunate. That's great. What what type of developmental delays are usually seen? I know you know a lot of children that have um, different disorders. There's a lot of comorbidity, so there are a lot of different disorders um, to unravel. Is that the case with Down syndrome, or are the uh, symptoms pretty clear cut uh, clear cut among most of the children? Uh, well, it does vary um, quite a bit as well. In fact, the way the, the doctors in our particular uh, case with Jessica described it is things that it can occur uh, normally in the population and do, such as uh, um, heart defects, um, even down to something as minor as a semi-increase in the palm of your hand, um, occurs in the population at large. But in, with individuals with Down syndrome, for some unknown reason, they seem to have more of an abundance of those type of situations that, that sort of pile up on them. So in our case, Jessica was born with a small hole in her heart. It was a, a VSD murmur that did close on its own by the time she was about 14. Um, but that same uh, hole between two heart chambers also occurs in the typical population. 
and so forth and so on. So I'd say in Jessica's case and that we can speak most um, personally about is that she has um, uh, delayed cognitive uh, abilities, even though she was able to, uh, through mainstream inclusive education all the way through high school, was able to um, really advance quite far. And so she reads at about a fifth grade level. She also is a touch typist. She loves touch typing. Uh, she's slow, but she's accurate. Uh, she reads, she writes, um, struggles a little bit with cursive, but who doesn't? Right. <laughs> so right. she's, um, I think the, there's no doubt that the, the ability to have access to an inclusive education with other typical children serving as peers and mentors around her um, helps her and, and other children with special needs to the extent that that can be possible. Right. Do, do they? Do you find um, in Down syndrome the behavioral issues that are common in, um, you know, let's say, um, autism or ADHD, um, you know, any of the different types of disorders? Are there behavioral issues as well due to um, the lack of acquired skills or sensory issues? Uh, y- yes, there there can be, and I think again, it's they really respond to their environment that they're in, and so the ability to find positive environments for them to uh, spend their time in, learn in, um, outside activities in, um, things like that, it, it can really be beneficial. The um, there is Since our daughter was born, there have been uh, formal diagnoses of, of um, children with dual diagnoses. They may have Down syndrome, and they may also be somewhere on the autism spectrum, for example. Right. Okay. And in our case, um, we don't experience that with Jessica, but but it certainly can happen out there. And there, you know, there are physical anomalies that are associated with Down syndrome. Do all children with Down syndrome um, have the the facial presentation? And that too seems to vary um, through the work of our Down syndrome foundation and the camp that we've created. Uh, we've come to meet many individuals with Down syndrome uh, and have been able to see a wide variety. And some um, present themselves uh, very so typical that I can't tell they have Down syndrome. And yet the parents have known uh, through genetic testing that their child does. So uh, it does vary as well across the spectrum. All right. And um, do most, you know, I, I, I think that there have been so many gains. Um, and, you know, I think... I, I, from what I see, a lot of the children with Down syndrome are able to transition and live somewhat independent lives. Yes. In fact, when our daughter was a senior in high school, she did have a, a bit of a dip in terms of she was uh, fully mainstreamed in a large high school with about 2,000 students in it, three different levels. She was navigating the whole building on her own. And she had a para assigned to the classes that she was mainstreamed into that would help with note-taking and bringing back assignments to the resource room and so forth. So she had a hybrid um, education where she spent some time in a resource room all the way through high school and then uh, some time in mainstream classes, like sign language, for example. She's a very visual person and likes movement and learns through um, visual observation. And so she picked up American Sign Language by taking that in high school for several years and is actually a bit of a signer today. She enjoys it and, and thinks of it as and very proud of the fact that she can she has a, a pretty good vocabulary in ASL. 
But um, in her senior year, she had a bit of a dip that um, unexpectedly threw um, mom and I into the world of mental health. And she she uh, struggled. She had some anxiety as she was approaching graduation. And come to find out later, we learned that it was from uh, the thought that she would have to move out of home because her older sister had done that when she graduated. So it appeared that Jessica had, did have a bit of struggle processing that transition in life. And uh, from that, we we hooked up with some good help again, a psychologist, psychiatrist that got us on track. And she spent about, um, in her case, about six months in a in a transition house where it was like sort of like a group home, where they had behavior uh, people and um, uh, a psychologist, psychiatrist, as I mentioned, and they they helped her through that period of time, and and. Um, and then from there, she went into a, a four-person group home placement in Minnesota. So today, she has three roommates, three other ladies. She's the youngest at 24, and then the next one is like 35, the next one is 43, and the last one is like 51. And the beauty of these individuals is, is they don't seem to see age, um, nor do they see differences. They, She thinks she has three wonderful friends. Two of them happen to have Down syndrome. One does not. But they all love to bowl. They all love to go to movies. They all love to um, take part in activities like swimming and and go to dances and things like that. So she just has a wonderful, uh, a warm second family, if you will, uh, living in her four-person group home. That is so great. I mean, that is just so great to hear. Um, you know, because I think you know people have you know the a, a vision of of you know that just it, it, they have so much despair, worrying about what will happen, and um, you know are there communication? Oh, I see that Holly has um, called in. Actually, I'm going to pick her up in a minute. But sure. um, are there communication um, skills? Is that the deficit? Is it in her language um, that she misunderstood that she would have to leave, or is that um, cognitive? I, I think in Jessica's case, more cognitive. She just uh, didn't have the the coping skills and the in the cognitive ability to rationalize through that. That no, in her case, she would not have to leave home. <laughs> right. And so it was something well, that, that must she be just, very frightening. Yeah. Right. And so she processed through it in her own way. And and of course, like everything else, um, I I use a saying that uh, these children. Um, with Down syndrome are so pure love. Their mind is not cluttered with a lot of heavy thinking that the rest of us uh, get burdened with. But um, that helps Jessica get through life. There's not a day that goes by where she doesn't teach me something or reminds me of something, how I should be acting. And so they're truly a delight and a blessing. You know, I hear that so much. And, you know, it's, it's 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 so nice that you know you can relay that and um you know for, for her growing up through school I, did she was she able to have um friendships or any any friends with or without you know disability well you know it's interesting friendships are a challenge and in Jessica's case after the uh, preschool for special needs that was an integrated inclusive style of preschool she actually went K through 5 in a um a, a Catholic parochial school where her older sister was enrolled and where her younger sister came in behind her. And in, so in Jessica's case, she um, relied heavily on natural supports from the school. They were very welcoming, very inclusive, and were blessed with the fact that Jessica's mother, my wife, is an elementary teacher, and she was able to go in and help translate 
uh, lesson plans and so forth through Jess- for Jessica up through the fifth grade. But then the gap got too big, so then Jessica moved to the public school in our neighborhood and finished out through 12th grade there. But in those times, like in the 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 parochial school she was in, she had there were like five or six hundred children in that school, K through eight at the time. Uh, Jessica, everybody in that school knew Jessica, so she had hundreds of buddies. But what we find is, as the typical children move on with their life, as they do and develop, the children with Down syndrome um, really are are left with family and, interestingly, other children with Down syndrome. Right. And so, really, it was because of that observation that was born our our desire to uh, create and and form a foundation to put on camps for kids with Down syndrome. Because in reality, that at the end of the day, that becomes their true friends is other individuals with Down syndrome or um, or other special needs uh, from a cognitive standpoint. So they meet up in Special Olympics, they meet up in adaptive recu- recreation programs. And they have a very enjoyable life, but it sort of runs parallel as they get more into adulthood um, than it does when they're totally included in a school setting growing up. And you are most um, young adults with Down syndrome able to work? Are they able to be financially independent to, to some degree? To some degree. Um, the, in our Jessica's case, uh, being, I, I would say, fairly typical as the Down syndrome spectrum goes, um, she does go to work five days a week, but to a supported employment location where she starts her day with them, and it's a shortened day, about six hours, starts her day with them. They have a group check-in. They, they have um, routines they go through, and then she goes out to a community um, job. In her case, she goes to a light manufacturing company and does packaging, and it's it's done in a work enclave setting, it's called, where there's a supervisor that goes with like four to six clients. And then she'll work there for like three to four hours, then come back to the work center, wrap up her day, check in, and then go back home. So she, in Jessica's world, she's going to work five days a week. And she does make um, what's called sub-minimum wage. It's something that many employers are um, given permits from the Department of Labor to do that, but it's appreciated very much by the individuals because they are able to sense that worth of going to work, of having a job they can be proud of, and so forth. So they don't look at the detail of the amount of money, but the fact that they've got a job is what's important to them. Right, feeling productive. I mean, that's that's just great. And um, you right. know, I want to I um, I want to talk about. Um, you know how you how you created this foundation. I know you created it with a few other people, but I mean it's just so wonderful because you know as you said, I mean they the, as they grow older, they they could live a very isolated life, and what you've done is really created a foundation to pre- prevent that. So, um, Holly, I see that you're on. I'm going to bring you on in a few minutes. Um, but first, I want to talk to Wayne about the Down Syndrome Foundation, how you started it, why you started it, and um, what it is that you, you offer. Right. Well, it's the the impetus for the foundation was really born out of working uh, for years as new parents from birth all the way through the education system. Most states in the, in the union have what's called a Down Syndrome Association, which is a membership-based association for 
parents and professional providers and others that want to be supportive of the Down Syndrome Network. And they're very good at educating new parents, uh, new parent packets when the child is born, helping them get connected to the community, to education, healthcare services, and so forth. So we, as our daughter was approaching mid-teens and another uh, couple of children were in that same age range of friends of ours, we learned that, that the, the tremendously wonderful resources that our children have from birth to 21 start to get thin as they approach 21. And then when they go into young adulthood and are out of the school system, there can be a real shift um, downward in terms of the systems that are around them from a, a day-to-day basis. So we uh, discovered a camp for special needs up in the Brainerd Lakes area of Minnesota. It's a beautiful summer resort area of Minnesota. And there's a camp there that for over 50 years from its very first charter was is chartered with providing camp experience for children of all types of special needs in the months of June, July, and August. In other words, the prime camp months for in Minnesota. And they were looking to reach out to the Down syndrome community. And so we connected and we pulled together a a group of parents that uh, talked about putting a camp together for one week. And then from that, um, determined that we needed to form an organization that would support that and be able to provide scholarships. And so that's really how the Down syndrome foundation was created in 1999 with uh, five parents that were involved with their own children and saw a need in the community that was that was not being met, and yet there was a desire for that. And um, most of the, the the children that go there, um, you know, you use college age counselors. We do. Are they? Camp- are they um, mm-hmm. Do you have any type of a, a training for them? We do. Yes. Um, what the way we got started with designing the camp uh, because we were first and foremost concerned about the safety of the children while they were having a fun camp experience. And we were, again, blessed with the fact that with my wife being a teacher and uh, over the years because of having Jessica, she uh, trans, trans, uh, transitioned into special ed uh, teaching. She had quite a circle of teacher friends, and so she gathered some of them together uh, to design the first camp, and they put their, their good special education teaching hats on and put good systems in place including uh, recruiting of of the typical population of uh, male and female counselors for our our campers. So we have 46 children with Down syndrome of ages 12 to 21 going through this five-day camp experience every summer, and we bring in 32 college-age students as counselors, or what we call peer counselors. And they are brought in just for our camp so that they need to be. Uh, they will meet a day and a half ahead of the start of camp, and they will be uh, given a Down syndrome 101, and they'll be given a background on each of the campers that are registered, and then they go through the activities that they have planned for the week and how it's. Uh, they engage the campers into planning their own activities and making decisions about what they would like to do during the week. And that's really been a success formula that we've used for 11 years now of putting on a camp. Well, you have a great ratio of camper to um, counselor. I mean, that's fantastic. But I would assume that many of the campers, this is probably their first time away from home. This is a sleepaway camp, am I correct? Uh, 
Yes, that's a very good question or comment. The, for so how, many how, do, of the how do you help them, um, you know, with the homesickness? I mean, children, uh, neurotypical children have a hard time sometimes with the homesickness. Right, right. Well, again, the, these these camper um, counselors have gotten very creative over the years. And by the way, they, they rotate through, too. We Some of them graduate out because we typically have them when they're in their four-year college time frame. And then uh, we'll lose a few each year, but then they'll they'll pass it on to friends that they know and say, hey, come and do this great experience, and you'll forever be changed about the world of special needs by being a counselor for a week. But, uh, yes, uh, just an example is um, last year we had a, an occasion where one um, child was used to not sleeping with their sister in the same room, and the sister actually was so worried about their her sister with Down syndrome having anxiety about that at camp that she came and asked permission to spend the week at camp with her. And we we said yes, but the, the counselors and the adults uh, directing the camp said, we're going to um, not want you to do what you do at home. So the first night they had one of the female our female counselors stay in the in the in the dormitory with the girls with that particular uh young lady and and then the next night she did it again and the third night the uh counselor brought a picture of her sister in and and showed that to the young camper and then left that there and said, if you're ever um, looking for your sister, just look at this picture. And she never looked back. The the young camper got used to um, um, being without her sister for an evening uh, and for the rest of the camp and actually experienced a real breakthrough in her what her family was experiencing back at home. That's great because it really was fostering the independence. And how long is the camp? Is it a week or it, it, does it vary? Yes, no, it's every year it's the same and it's it goes for uh four nights and five days. Okay. And now I know that this camp is exclusive for Down syndrome. So um why was it important for you to have a camp that was only for children with Down syndrome? And um how how I mean I would imagine that the, the lives of the counselors are just so enriched by it. Exactly. Well, uh, it's a very good question. The the and we get asked that occasion uh, with all the hard hard work that so many uh, have done to open up doors of in, of being inclusive for our population. What we found was um, they they really as they as they go from teenage years to young adulthood, they really are are like the rest of the population. They like to have friends of that are like them. Uh, so there there may be uh you know people that love to golf and go off on golf uh, weeks with their golf buddies and so forth and and so on through life and so what we learned was is that this is one week um because our children are blessed now more and more these days with being able to spend so much time with the typical population this is one short week where they can go and just be themselves and actually develop friends that become lifelong friends so many of them connect after they've met at camp and the parents come drop them off and pick them up, they'll actually exchange phone numbers just like other campers do and then get together if they live in a similar community uh, or close proximity, and they'll start well, doing your activities. Camp is, your camp is only for children in Minnesota, is that correct? It, it is, it is, yes. We but do draw uh, but from anyone can state. start a camp, right? And, and do you help other people start camps? Absolutely, absolutely. We we respond to all inquiries about how might a camp like this be created uh, in our home state. And it's just a matter of finding a good camp uh, program 
and then working with the, the permanent camp staff to design something that could be provide these opportunities for our population. Well, it's just fantastic. And, you know, I know that um, is there is there a, a charge to the families, or is that um, through donations that um, it's covered? It, it's both, yes. There is a, a cost to the camp that runs approximately $800, but uh the with that eight hundred dollar cost there's there's another four to five hundred dollars per camper that the that the foundation supplements that's for all the campers all forty six of them and then we also have scholarships available so that in the application if any parent would like their child to experience this camp but but has a financial limitation we never let that stand in the way uh to down to including full scholarships and that's just an honor system that we've used since day one and it's it's really worked quite well well i think it's just fantastic what you're doing and um if you could just give us the your website and if anybody would like to learn more about it or donate or uh participate or is interested in starting their own camp um you can go to this foundation oh i have it right here it's the www.downsyndromefoundation.org that's correct, Marianne. It's that simple, and if anybody would like to have a conversation with any of our our volunteer staff, the whole foundation is run by volunteers. You can connect with us through that foundation website, and we're happy to have conversations and help get people pointed in a in a direction and learn from what we've learned. Well, I, I think it's great, and, you know, Jessica's a lucky girl, and, um, you know, you've really, uh, you're really helping the Down syndrome community, so I really thank you for joining us. Well, th- thank you for having this uh, conversation. And, and as, as you said earlier and started out, they really are um, delightful people, and, and, and they've enriched the lives of so many around them. So happy to do it. Thank you for coming. Okay. Um, Holly, are you with us? Hi. Hi, Holly. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks. How are you guys doing? Great. Um, I wanted to... Um, to speak with you, I you know I, I had see, heard your blog, I had read your blog, and I was just so impressed with it. And um, you know, I think you, you gave a perspective that really interested me because um, you found out um, in early, fairly early in your pregnancy I, that we, um, twenty-two weeks um, yes. that your um, child had Down syndrome. And um, you know, you've you've told me that ninety percent of women are advised to terminate. And you didn't. So I wanted to talk to you about how you made that decision mm-hmm. and the emotional process that you went through when you first found out. Okay. Um, well, it's 90% of women do end up terminating. I, I don't want to say that 90% are advised to terminate. You know, I don't. I don't want to have anybody come after me for that. But 90% of women who are given the options do, in fact, end up terminating. Um, that much is and, true. And, you know, um, how how did you make the decision? What, what you know, because you have other children. Like you have all, you, you already had a child before you had? Uh, we had um, three. Well, we have three okay. others. So, so walk us through it. Walk us through the process of, you know, you, you, you find okay. out this information, and I would assume that you have to become very educated very quickly. Yes. Um, yes. So tell it, you know, tell us what what the experience was and and how you were able to make the decision that you made. 
Okay, well, we went for a routine, one of our routine ultrasounds at about 18 weeks, and she couldn't really see the heart. But Brooke was always um, pretty jumpy in the womb, so we didn't think anything of it. They're like, oh, just come back in two weeks. We're going to do another one. Okay. So we go back, and she just has this look on her face, the ultrasound technician. She just couldn't couldn't get what she was looking for. And finally I asked her, is everything okay? And she says, um, I just can't see the four chambers of the heart. I think there's a defect. And we just uh, bottom crashed, you know, just tears. Wow, well, I'm surprised that a technician would tell you that. Okay, I, go ahead. I know. I don't know if it was because it was my fourth baby. I'd been there so much. Um, you know, and I said, well, what does that mean? And she's, um the doctor will have to call you later today. I'll have to give these to the to the OB, and he'll call you later on and probably send you to maternal fetal medicine. And I'm like, oh, okay. But as we were walking out the hallway, luckily the nurse saw me, a basket case, and dragged the doctor in there immediately to look at the, look at the um, ultrasound. And then she came in and told me that it does look like that there is, at this time, there was a small hole um, you do need to go to maternal field specialist. We'll get you. We'll get you over there as soon as possible. So we were there a couple of days later, and it was it was then that we found out there that she for sure did have a defect, and it was actually much more severe than we were first told. It was actually um, a complete AV canal defect where the center of her heart was missing, and there was only one valve. And that's so, common. I understand that cardiac um, issues, especially um, small holes, is something that's common. Uh, is yes. that what led to having the amniocentesis? Was that suspected? Or was yes. it just to have the amnio just as a precaution? No. She With this particular defect, there was a 40% chance that the baby would have Down syndrome. And I, at that time, like, right, because they just, this information just comes at you so quickly I didn't know what to do, and I the first thing I said was, I don't want an amnio, you know, pretty much, I don't want anything else, I just want to go home. Um, but the doctor had advised me that, you know, it's always best to have the amnio, that way the cardiologists know genetically what they're up against. That way, right. if when the baby's born, if she needs heart surgery immediately, they don't have to wait for genetic testing, because with her defect, there was also a chance of trisomy 18, um, which is what? What is the difference between just me eighteen and twenty one? It's on the on the eighteenth um, chromosome. It's it's the, with with trisomy eighteen, the child most likely there's like they wouldn't even do surgery because most of the time your body aborts the the fetus, okay. and if you, and if the baby does live, it's not it's not very long. And that right. being said. Of course, there's always those cases, but if the baby did have trisomy 18, they told us that the cardiologist wouldn't even operate. It's a very poor prognosis, right? Exactly. Right. And, exactly. Um, and you know, you I know that I have I've read um, some of the things uh, that you wrote about it, and you said that really um, you were given gloom and doom, as many parents are when their children you know, have a diagnosis. I mean, my, oh. my child has some, something completely different. But I think what they, you know, they do tend to be... Um, won't, won't, won't. 
Right. You know, and I think that they do that to prepare you um, for, mm-hmm. you know, the journey that you have ahead of you. Um, you know, and I don't know whether we're just super parents that we just defy the odds um, or if really they're just being really cautious. But you were given all of the gloom and the doom. Um, I would. So what was there ever a time that you considered not keeping the child? And what made you – what was it that made you know that this child – um, you were going to keep this child? Actually, we initially thought that we weren't going to keep her. It it really wasn't an option. With We were told by the maternal fetal specialist that they would not be able to fix her heart, that at most she would have a two-chamber heart, which would mean that she would never be able to run around with other children outside or play soccer or do ballet with her sister, just a very subpar life. She just... They just said she would never, ever go to a regular school. She would never live alone. Well, how old is Brooke now? Because we just Brooke spoke is 15 with... months old now. Okay, so she's still a baby. We we just mm-hmm. spoke with Wayne, and you know, his daughter is 24. And I, I really wanted to bring you both on because I wanted really to have, um, you know, two very different um, stages about mm-hmm. Down syndrome. And um, so, you, you know, you're early on this, this journey. Yeah. Now, what... Uh, what is the percentage of children that are born with Down syndrome? Do oh, know? gosh. It really depends on your age. Like, my, I was 28 when I had Brooke, and my odds were like 1 in 1,124. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I would imagine. It's, it, is it genetic? Do you find that it, it runs in families, or it's, it's just very they do They do genetic testing, and Brooke's is absolutely not genetic. It was just kind of, a, I, I guess, a fluke of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, even though they proved that it's not genetic, there is a higher chance that it would happen in our, in our family now. Okay. Okay. But and do what do you, do you find? I mean, I know she's very young, mm-hmm. um, but how um, can you gauge a, a young child's um, milestones? And um, do you really set milestones for her? So what I'm basically saying is, you know, you have neurotypical children. Mm-hmm. So um, how do you see her progressing um, as far as the other children did? And what type of um, delays do you see and how are you dealing with them? Okay. Um, she, so far... It's actually pretty funny because our first and our third child didn't walk till they were like 16 and a half months anyway. So we're not we're not used to you know these early go getters. But I definitely do see the delay now. She's 15 months old and she's not yet. She crawls on her belly. You know she does the army the army drag that we call it. Um, but she's not pulling up yet. She's she's babbling and making sounds. But for the life of me, I can't get a mama out of her. Although she's very fond of her dad, dad. Um, and we did need one of the the biggest things I did see in her was feeding. We actually had to have a feeding therapist come on because I could not get her to chew. She absolutely did not want to chew any food. If it wasn't a baby food or a puree, she wasn't going to have it. So we actually had to bring somebody in and work with her on developing her jaw muscles. That's where her low tone was mostly, that in her abs. But her jaw, we really had to work with her chewing. And we're actually having a hard time right now getting her to drink out of a cup. If she doesn't want to do it, she's just not going to do it. She's far more stubborn than my other children ever were. Yes. (laughs) 
Um, you know, and and there, I wanted to discuss with you because you know I discussed I just touched upon it with Wayne. Um, you know, the physical anomalies and the developmental delays. So, um, you know, the, the facial features. And um, you know the physical features um, that are present in Down syndrome. Um, do that? How do they relate with severity? Because I think that that's a misconception that people have. It it is. I have so with Brooke. You can see it mostly in her eyes. She has the almond shaped eyes, but she doesn't have the flatter nose. She actually has her nasal bone, which is another reason why nobody thought she had Down syndrome in utero. Even after they did the amnia, we were told, oh no no no, she doesn't even look it. Again, you know. But um, it doesn't it it doesn't matter what features you have to to cognitive abilities. Some I see kids that have every they have the gap in their between their first and their second toe called sandal gap. They have the flatter nose. They have the eyes. They have the you know low set small ears, and they're walking around the room at 14 months old. Mm-hmm. It's 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 insane. There's absolutely no correlation and i get that a lot you know just the um well she's probably just going to do fantastic you can't even see it in her and just no you always have to educate <laughs> right oh absolutely absolutely and um you know what t- what type of support were you given um when you were pregnant because i i i would imagine that has to be really difficult and you know as everyone knows you know, prenatal stress definitely mm-hmm. has an impact on the fetus. So um, what type of support and counseling were you given when you were pregnant? Well, I had my family, but as far as, you know, the maternal-fetal specialist just pretty much advised us to terminate with her heart issues, um, although the perinatal cardiologist, you know, told us, oh, we can fix it and she'll be fine. It won't have any effect on that. But my family and my friends were fantastic. Whatever decision that I made, they were they were behind me 100%. When we thought we were going to terminate, when we were heeding the doctor's advice, they were very much if that's what you feel you need to do. If you know if you don't want to, mm-hmm. if you feel that having a very severely disabled child is going to impact your marriage negatively and really cause stress on your children, then you need to do what's what's right for you. I was very lucky. I never felt like anyone was judging me for the decision that I might have made. Ever. Right. And you know and that's very important and you know I'm going to actually I have that um to discuss in a little bit is you know the effect on marriage and and siblings. Um but it, it as a rule it, there really isn't any type of um services or counseling or any type of anywhere in a foundation that um women can go to when they're pregnant and you know they're given this diagnosis prenatally. There's the parents of Down syndrome angels. You could go to their website, and there's branches all over, okay, um, good. all over the place that you could find. But my, none of my doctors told me about that. None of them. I actually got an email from a friend who heard from a friend that <laughs> my my unborn baby. Had well, you Down know what? Syndrome. If you can post them um, for us on our Facebook, and um, sure, because you know I think that that's you know that that that's just unacceptable. I mean, these women need support, and um, oh, I definitely it's agree. It's great and to know I, that I there is support there. The, I do, and I think that's why the termination rate is so high because you get this, you know, the 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 doom and gloom, and and you have nobody to talk to, you have nobody to see. If anybody is wavering, and they just you know, came and talked to a mother or a father that has a child with Down syndrome mm-hmm. and saw that child, I really think that 
it would do wonders. It's not as scary as as it's made out to be. Well, you know, I say that all the time. There's no um, better resource than a, a parent who's been there. Um, you know, but it's and and as you know, we hear over and over about these children that they're just pure love, mm-hmm. and um, there's something really special um, about these children. Mm-hmm. That's not to diminish the fact that they have a hard road to travel, oh, yeah. as do the parents. Um, so, you know, as far as the milestones, you know, they may be delayed, but um, once the child is born, what type of support and services are out there to help the child and the family? Well, there's early intervention. Um, they'll, they, they should call you up or your pediatrician should give you the information right away because they start, I mean, these babies start physical therapy from, you know, once they're in the system, so it could be a month or mm-hmm. so. I mean, work in those little muscles, especially if you have a, a baby with lower tone. Um, you know, there's you do physical therapy and they start speech therapy to start working those, that mouth and, and getting those those babbling sounds and those vowel sounds out there, a lot of occupational therapy to work on your pincher grasp and self-feeding. There, I mean, there's everything. My community just offered a baby science class for parents of Down syndrome that we went to. It's because, really, you know, the communication skills, I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's going to be so key. Um you know, so you know, and I know that um, one thing that you you had written was that um, taking care of Brooke is different than my other kids, but not harder. Yeah. So you know, explain that. I mean, Brooke definitely. I have to plan my day around Brooke and what therapy she has, and it's not just sitting on the floor playing peekaboo with her. I I have to consciously make a point to. You know, let's make sure we do five minutes of this exercise and five minutes of this exercise. And now we're going to have 20 minutes of just laughing on the floor, you know, blowing bubbles on your belly time. It's it's just, it, it's I don't want to say more structured because I'm definitely not a structured kind of mom. But I do have to take more care of what I play with her. And and it's different also because I we we go to far more doctors. You know she has. Well, that's what I was going to say. She must have a hectic schedule. I would assume, mm-hmm. although she's young, so it's hard for me to gauge. But I mean, I would assume there's physical therapy. There's yeah, going to the occupational therapy, therapy, speech therapy. Mm-hmm. And then we have to go to. Luckily, her heart surgery was a success, so we're just down to the cardiologist every five or six months or so, but she was just diagnosed with a hypothyroid. So now we have to go get her blood drawn every month and take time to go to the endocrinologist. Is that so, common? Because I, I, I hadn't seen that It is very before. common. It is. Okay. Yes. So endocrine problem. issues are part and parcel of this as well? Exactly. Exactly. They make sure to check it. They check your thyroid at birth, six months, one year, like about every six months. Even if you well, don't what other have. type of physical problems um, are there are associated? Because now we have the endocrine, um, you know, we have the facial features, we have the cardiac. Mm-hmm. Um, it There's seems to really gastro gastro problems, gastrointestinal problems. Um, some children have problems where they just can't digest their food, or they have um, some babies have problems swallowing. Or just eating, and um, a lot of those babies end up with the G tubes, the feeding tubes in their belly. Wow. 
to make sure that they get the nutrients that they need. And then they'll, then most of the time those children have to work with a feeding therapist to even get used to eating again because they ha- they just hadn't for so long or they just didn't, you know, they just have a major sensory problem after not being able to digest. You know, it makes you feel yucky so you don't want to do it. I mean, these, these. I mean, it's just amazing. I, I, I'm in awe of so much that uh, you know the, that you do as parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, There's I know a higher that, risk of leukemia for children with Down syndrome. What? Why do you think it is that the the whole body? Do, do you know? They just say that extra genetic material on the 21st chromosome just really opens up a door for anything and everything. I mean, there is, you know, the risk for Alzheimer's disease is increased. Um, you know, more more hearing problems. You know, another thing we do with Brooke is go get our hearing test every few months and go get our vision test once or twice a year just to make sure. Right. Well, visual, yes. You know, that mm-hmm. I, I've, I've definitely heard of. But, um, you know, what if you had to give advice to a, a young mother that, you know, has... But you know, maybe may surprised by the birth of her child with Down syndrome. Uh, what would you say to encourage them? Where would you tell them to go? And um, you know, I know you talk a, a lot about advocating. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, we only have about five minutes left. So you know, tell me how how would you advise a, a young mother? First, I would I would have them go to the Parents of Down Syndrome Angel site. Find the group closest to you, and email them. Call them. They're always welcoming new mothers. They want you to be a part of. We want you to be a part of our group. We want we want to be able to support you. We want your child to to play with other children with down syndrome. They should have typical friends and and friends that are, you know, just like them. Um start reading, but don't don't forget that it's your baby's still your baby. There's Sure, you know, there's going to be more appointments and there's more to worry about, but don't let that overwhelm you and not enjoy the time with your baby. Because regardless of Down syndrome, it is, I will admit this, it is the one thing that's nice about the Down syndrome is that Brooke is my baby for a little bit longer. You know, she's she's a little, you know, they are a little smaller, you know, in size. So, And just the that developmental delay. So she is still a little bit more snuggly than my other ones were. But enjoy the time with your baby. Just you, do you find that you that you get any respite? Because I would assume that her her she needs twenty four hour care. Oh, so, Brooke is really independent. Actually, I don't. I I wouldn't say she requires twenty four hour care. Oh, at all. You, that's great. Okay, oh, no, no but, because I would assume if they had feeding issues and all types no. of issues that they you couldn't know, stay with a, a issues, you know a, a teenage the, babysitter. You know. Oh yeah, you know. If, but she did have the feeding issues, and we would work on it at breakfast, lunch, and dinner time. Mm-hmm. You just we I just very much that was when we worked on it. If you if you force it too much, there she wouldn't respond at all. It's just like if you're doing physical therapy, you can't do physical therapy all day long because, well, first of all, their little muscles can only handle so much, you know. Right. And then they they just they won't want to do it. So Brooke is. You know, she's a. I always joke because she's our fourth baby, so we're. I think I'm far more relaxed with her than I would have been if she was our first and had. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, she zooms all over the house chasing right. after her brothers and her sister, and I just marvel at her. You know, I'm like instead, I catch her eating goldfish off the 
off the carpet, and I don't even yell. I'm just like, oh, look at those occupational therapy skills. Look at her go. <laughs> right, right. Well, by the fourth one, we're shot anyway. I, I've been yeah, there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if there's no blood or knives, it's like it's a good day. You know? I know. Um, but you know, no, I really, I thank you for coming. Now, I know that you write. Can you give us the um, the name of your blog and um, tell us what you're involved with that you're helping other other parents? Okay, I blog my my uh the site is www.notaperfectmomsblog.com and I I write about Brooke, but if you went there you you might not notice right off the bat that she has down syndrome. You know, she's just a part right. of our family. So, not unless I purposely point it out or you see a picture of her, you might you might not notice. But I I'm very honest and I've there has been times when I've had you know, there's there are times when it's hard, not all the time, but there are some times that it that it is hard when you see the other typical babies and you you forget about it and you're like, "Oh, she's not doing that yet." But then you remember, it's okay because she will do it. She's going to do it. And if she doesn't do it for 3 more months, then so be it. But one day she will, and I'm okay with that. So I I blog over there. Um and I'm currently working on a book titled Not a Perfect Mom about my experiences with Brooke and finding out about about her diagnosis and what we went through and, and just how she fits in with our family. Because I think a lot of people think that once once a mother has a child with special needs, they're automatically nominated for sainthood. You know, put me up on my pedestal because I am now a mommy of a baby with Down syndrome. And it's just, it's just not like that. And I just, I want people to see that, yeah, my baby has Down syndrome, and we're going to be dealing with it for the rest of our life. But we're okay with that, and we're still us. It hasn't changed us except for a few therapy appointments a week and a you know zip to the endocrinologist once a month. Right. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Thank I wish you. Brooke the best of luck, and I thank you for joining us. Um, you know, keep writing, and uh, make sure you post some of your writings um, on our Facebook page. You know, I'm Great, sure a lot of parents thank would you. love to to start following you. So, as I said, good luck and thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Um, Before we end, I want to let everyone know our chat topics for the week. Um, Tomorrow, Pierrette and Lorna will be doing a chat, 9 a.m. Eastern, um, on TweetChat, about sleep. And sleep is more important than just getting a little bit of rest. Uh, It affects our our immune systems. It it affects everything um, about our bodies. And tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock, Pierrette and Lorna will be discussing sleep and if your child is getting adequate and quality sleep. On Tuesday, uh, Elise has guest Lorraine Terry, who is the founder of the Autism Spectrum Disorder Support Group in the United (laughs) Kingdom, and they will be discussing um, how what type of support is given in the United Kingdom and in Europe versus um, how it's treated here in the United States. And um, Wednesday night, we have the best of the best. Carol Kranowitz and Joy Newman are back. Carol Kranowitz is the author of The The Out-of-Sync Child, and together she's written um, the sequel, um, Growing an In-Sync Child with Joy Newman. And uh, they are just incredible for sensory processing disorder and all sensory issues. Uh, Thursday morning, I will be doing a chat on treating the symptoms and not the diagnosis in a multifaceted child with comorbidity. So that's my chat on Thursday. And next Wednesday, Sunday we're off Easter. Next Wednesday, he's here. 
Dr. Russell Barkley. Anyone who has a child or is an adult with attention deficit disorder knows Dr. Barkley. He literally writes all the books. And he will be here discussing executive functioning, not only for our children, but for the adults, because the apples don't fall far from the tree. So I want to thank you for joining us. As we end each show, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent. Also, our website is being um, is under construction. We will be back in about nine days with a fantastic website filled with resources and support for parents. And um, you could still go to our website and get to our Twitter and other and blog talk and other links. Um, but we are under construction. So thank you for joining us, and we'll see you again tomorrow.